welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Mike Rooney. Mike is the general manager of a company called Worldwide Rental Services, an equipment dealer that is focused on renting large earth moving and pipeline equipment. Based in Denver, Colorado, Mike was actually in a very unique situation where he was the first employee of the company and has helped grow the business from 30 machines to 1,000 machines across 10 different locations. Mike, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you got into the equipment rental industry? Mr. Mark, I, uh, I, I started out as an airplane mechanic, which will make this for a very diverse story, but uh, sooner, sooner into that career, uh, I got laid off, and my father actually was working in the construction uh, equipment sales industry, and he says, you know, maybe you should try this for a little while. And uh, he was successful at helping me get hired by Sun State Equipment, um, who's now one of the bigger players in the industry. But that was actually 1995 when I went to work for them. And I spent uh, two years there before coming to Worldwide in 1997. Okay. And so what was the transition in terms of your roles? And so you got put into Sun State. And then what was the evolution to where you've become today? Well, yeah, they hired me right out the gate as a uh, outside salesperson, and um, then I came to Worldwide as essentially their first employee in 1997 as their first uh, and only at the time uh, outside salesperson. Wow. So, okay. So, you, you, how long did you do at Sun State before you moved over to Worldwide? Two years. Two years. And then, so how did you get associated with Worldwide in that process? Well, they were brand new to town, and uh, I was currently looking to maybe go work for a dealer. And the, the gentleman who hired me had reached out to some of his friends in the dealer network, and they said, well, this guy came around. Maybe you should talk to him because we don't have a place for him. And uh, they interviewed me, and I was actually the only person they interviewed and uh, started uh, two weeks later. All right. So that's interesting. We'll, we'll get into what it's like to work at a, I guess, essentially a, a startup in a way, but maybe before we do that, did you want to just talk a little bit about like what is worldwide rental services and like what are the products and services that they provide so we can get a bit of context before we get into it? Certainly. Well, obviously uh, Sun State most are, most, are familiar, most are familiar with as a uh, general rental company and worldwide actually rents medium to large uh, earth moving equipment. Uh, in the civil and the uh, cross-country pipeline space, basically across the Western United States and now as far back as, as Ohio. And so you joined the company as basically the, the first employee. And so what's the size of the business today? Well, the size then, I can tell you, as I drove out the gate after accepting the job, was uh, about 10 tractors. I still have a picture uh, here on my wall. And I thought to myself, what have I done? Uh, now the company is... Um, a thousand machines in uh, eleven locations in eight states. Wow! So, so what was the the difference between working at something like Sunstate, which was a very established business, to working in essentially a startup? Like, what was what was the the challenge in that? That is a very different business to work in. Well, it was it was uh, it was a very fast pace to figure out how to do a lot of things that just a company like Sunstate already knew how to do. For instance, we didn't have a credit app. Um, you know, we didn't know how we were going to charge. We didn't have rental rates established. And so we just made those things up on, on the fly as we went. And 
quite frankly, you know, we borrowed some other people's uh, different pieces of those of those puzzles and put them together and made them into our own. And so you started as the outside sales rep, I think you mentioned at, at Worldwide. And then what's your role today? And what was the evolution to get to that role? So I, I started there and then we opened a branch in Salt Lake City a couple of years later. And at that point, I started to kind of manage the sales team as it grew, uh, but not until we necessarily built Albuquerque in 2001 and had three stores that I evolved into the sales manager. And then in 2007, I uh, became the general manager of the operations in the United States. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing achievement, I think. Like when you, when you moved into Worldwide, uh, was that something that was always in your vision or was it something that, like how, how, what made you decide to work for them in the very instance? Well, I'd been turned down by a lot of dealers. Um, and so when I got the opportunity to compete against them directly, uh, I was wildly excited to go out there and show them the mistake that they made. Uh, and, the, uh, and Worldwide gave me that opportunity because they also been in the international business for a long time. In the late 90s, a lot of those machines started coming back off of international rentals and they knew that there wasn't going to be a lot of opportunity for them. So their vision was now we need to be in the contractor rental space in the United States. So as these machines are coming back out from out of the country, um, my inventory was growing rapidly. So it was up to me to see how fast we could get it out there and find a home for it. Wow. So your, your drive basically came from people rejecting you basically in the early days. Say not yes, bringing onto that business. Yes. So why were they rejecting you? Were they saying that you didn't have the right experience? What was well, the, I mean, to, to, you know, I would clarify that, you know, I, I don't have a college education um, and I had two years of experience. And here I was just some young 30 year old man that thought he needed to go work at the cat dealership. So, you know, I guess um, they were probably looking in that in the right light, but I set out to prove them. That's amazing. Hopefully you get to employ some of those people in the future. <laughs> uh, we've had some of their mechanics, but but not their not their salespeople or, or the or those exact people. All right, so you're you've grown the business uh, today. You've got eleven locations, right. I think you said. So what what was what were the what was the challenges in, in growing that small business from from one or two employees to the to the size it is today? Well. Um, we were pretty steady at, at four locations up until the downturn in 2008. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything stopped for a year. Well, if you didn't have opportunity for the equipment in the locations that you're in, then my theory was we have to go give the equipment opportunity. So we rapidly opened two or three more stores. And to answer your question exactly, um, finding the right people to go do that, which we've got a wonderful team of people who've been here with me, most of them 15, 20 years of my 24 years at the company. So um, we've made that team and, and those guys have made the whole company successful for sure. So you're saying that to the success of the company, it isn't typically about the, let's just say the, <clears throat> the equipment or even the customers, it starts off with the, having the right team and the right employees and the right culture to grow both of those other areas. I would that say that that's absolutely to? correct. I mean, the people are 
are the, the lifeblood of the, the industry, even for the day-to-day -day rentals that you do, the interaction that you have with the customer. Um, if you don't have the right team, they're all trying to do the same thing. And, and our team really understands that we, are, we strive to be in the rental business. And so when one comes in, it needs to go back out and from the shop to the wash rack to the coordinator inside, everybody you know, is pulling the rope in the same direction. And that's, that's been the key to our success. And so over the evolution of the company, have you changed uh, the, the category and classes of equipment that you provide as well? We, we've kind of stuck with the, 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 the medium to large to, so that we only compete with the, uh, the dealers or other independents like ourselves. Um, and I will say this is a third generation family owned business uh, that I've been you know, fortunate to work with the second and the third generation for my career here. Um, but um, we haven't got too far outside of the realm of where we started. We've picked up some niche items and we do pull behind scrapers that we didn't used to do. We do uh, construction discs and we've added a lot of fuel lube trucks as a, as a thing that nobody else seems to rent uh, as a rule. And so it's been more of a niche thing, but we've stuck kind of to our guns. And so are you connected with certain brands of equipment or is that really a bit of a mix? Well, we actually represent a brand that we own. Uh, so I should mention Superior Manufacturing. Uh, our company actually manufactures uh, pipeline specific equipment from crawler carriers to 90 ton side boom pipe layers, uh, patty machines, and, and most of those things are for the cross-country pipeline industry. So Superior, first and foremost, uh, we do represent K-Tech as a pull scraper, um, tattoo discs as our construction disc. Um, and other than that, um, we're not a slave to any brand of equipment. Uh, we generally don't try to be a dealer for anybody because that pulls us out of the realm of the rental business, what we're really good at. Um, so not, not too many brands, one we own and, and some others that we're very comfortable with. And so going from that person that was rejected into the person that you've become today, which is an amazing success story, like how, how have you changed in yourself to, to become the person you are today? Like there's a lot, a lot of learnings around managing people better having a better business acronym maybe, or maybe understanding rental better? Like what was the sort of key learnings that you learned along the way from becoming the person well, you are today? I, I had to read a lot. Um, and then I, I tried to, to be a manager like the ones, not like the ones I didn't like. So I learned more from the people who I didn't like managing me than I ever did about a manager who I wanted to emulate as a rule. Um, but I studied, uh, you know, read the cat performance handbook because I was, you know, undereducated. I did have a mechanic background from being in the airline industry, but um, it was just really fake it until you make it, I guess would be one way to look at that. And did you put a, a big emphasis on really learning the equipment end to end? So when you're having these conversations with your customers and your employees that you've got that really strong product knowledge, because from the mechanical side, I'm assuming that would have been a lot of interesting things that would have been applied to you as well. Well, the, 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 interesting enough, an airplane and a, and a piece of heavy equipment are very similar. They're electric, electric systems and hydraulic systems. And, and so uh, I could equate from there, but to answer your question, um, one of my mentors back in the day said, you'll be a great rental salesman 
when a customer asks you what they need for their job. And I never forgot those words because a couple of years into this business, I'd studied enough to find out that if a guy called me out and said, hey, should I use trucks or should I use scrapers? I thought, hey, you know, I, my, I think I know what you need. And that was a great compliment to be asked that question. So that was something I always tried to, to be good enough to answer those questions. Yeah, rather than just saying we've got trucks and scrapers. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a very valuable lesson to a lot of sales reps that are, are listening to, to really make sure that you understand what what the customer's after in terms of their current challenge and, and try and provide them a solution, uh, not just give them a, an electronic answer or just spew out some information based upon what products you have and, and, and really make sure that you're seen as, as a partner. And, and that's probably a big part of why a lot of companies are successful. I, I like to use the term equal business stature and I didn't just want to be the sales guy. And if you have product knowledge and job knowledge, then, you know, then you're more on an equal plane and you become more of a partner than the guy who's got the cheapest rate or the shiniest equipment. Okay. And so the way I found you online was through a video that you published on LinkedIn around how you manage your checkout process. So it'd, it'd be great. To, for you just to talk a little bit about how you manage those those checkouts um, at, at a starting point, and then we'll dive a little bit deeper into, into that. Sure, we actually have a, a process where we have a check-in um, sheet and the man actually goes through that order around the tractor with now on his cell phone using a, uh, uh, an operation called Record360 where he can speak to the camera he can um, make, make, you know, start, start and stop in different places to the extent where we're even going to check the tires as they rotate uh, going onto the customer's trailer, looking for a crack that you haven't, you can't see from a still photograph. Um, and as it's loaded on the transport basically is when that's being taken place. So we always sell that to the customer as, we're not just trying to recoup all of our damage. We're going to protect you, Mr. Customer, from any subsequent damage that there was that didn't get fixed. And most of our customers would say, yeah, I paid for that. I sent it back. They sent it back to me and it was still there, but I got a bill. Well, we've eliminated that whole piece of the puzzle by doing you know, the, the intensive video that we actually take. And so before that, I'm assuming it was all either not documented or handwritten on paper. Yes, it was paper or some still photographs, um, but I can tell you that it only took us probably one or two years to not want to talk about damage to the extent that we were early on, that we started using VHS camcorders, and you couldn't email the guy in 1999 a clip of his video. You had to take a copy of it and march over to his office and hope they had a VCR. A lot of people listening to your podcast might not even know or remember a VCR. Um, so that was a different conversation, uh, but now you know it's, it's quite simple to email him that uh, that that video. Uh, one of my favorite stories is early on, I, I called a customer. I said, you, "You smashed in the back door of an excavator." He says, "No, my operator said it was like that when we got it." And I said, "Well, I have a video that loaded on your truck before it went out." And the man says, "You have a video?" I said, "Yes, sir, I do." He says, "Okay, send me the bill." end of conversation so that really is how easy a lot of these 
have gotten over the years because we're going to that extent to once again protect ourselves and the customer. And, and I assume like there's a lot of cost savings here. There's obviously the damage recovery rate would be increasing on, on getting that, that money uh, to cover those costs. But then it's also the administration time that the time that your team has to put in, you know, emailing, phone calls, negotiating with customers, which can, if you're paying someone $60, $60 an hour, hypothetically, to, to manage that process for a week, that, that could be solved in a, in a couple of minutes over a phone call by just emailing a video. It, it I think a lot of people don't understand that the true value of, of eliminating that, that time spent as well, not just the damage recovery. No, I concur. I mean, I, because, because I used to be half the guy, the guy who would have to drive across town and, and run down the person and be in front of a video camera to show him. And, you know, that could take half a day when I could have been making sales calls to rent 10 more tractors. And if I had somebody administrating that to your point, um, that would be a full-time job if it wasn't so seamless. Yeah. Or even more risky than not documenting it properly, or it's saved on someone's computer locally and then those photos or videos are lost and so then when it comes to the point where you need to uh, provide the video or photos to the customer you, you don't have them at hand and I've seen this before you finally get the content that you can send to the person and it's like being a month after the damage and the customer forgets about it that, oh, that, that wasn't related to my hire uh, or rental sorry and, and all that sort of process so I think there's, there's a lot of benefits here and I think it's a really good topic to talk about because I think a lot of companies still do struggle with this process. I, I would tell you that we also have a policy that we've adhered to for a long, long time, which is the customer will have a notification within 48 hours or less that there is damage and invite him to enter the conversation that quickly because a month down the line, the job's closed out. Now, even if they, if you prove they did it, they're mad because it took you that time and they have to they have to charge it to a different place or take it to their superior or somebody who they could have not had to show that to if they would have just been able to take care of it in a timely manner yeah i think it's a, a really good topic and so uh, where are you where do you see that going as the next evolution are you guys still investing in certain areas around that or are you looking at adding other areas uh, as part of the, the documentation process well quite frankly what we've learned from that um, we're in the process of developing a, a internet platform um, that is in fact a airbnb for heavy equipment as you will um, that, that's soon to be on the market uh, not to take the place of our company, but to add another layer to our company. And they have used extensively our video to help them figure out how to do check-ins and check-outs from remote locations so that, you know, you're not taking something from a contractor's yard that you don't already know what you're going to get on the other end. So that's uh, that's been one evolution. All right. So is this website live now? Yes, Mark. Uh, it's called Rubble. R-U-B-B-L dot com, rebel .com, And that is our new, uh, as I said, Airbnb for heavy equipment rental platform. And so is this going to be more tailored towards used equipment sales or is it rentals as well? Like where is this online more, presence going? It's going to be more like the, uh, the availability of the contractor to put his idle assets onto the platform and, and be in the rental business 
and, and, and then also give us opportunity to his fleet to fill packages when he has assets that, that are underutilized. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a very interesting concept. I, I, is anyone else tapping into that market at the moment? There's, there's several people here in the United States um, that are in the process of doing something to that extent. Um, but to the level that we've, you know, used our 24 years of, of rental experience to build into the platform, I'm not sure anybody's gotten that extensive. And so talking about an online presence, have you slowly evolved how you present your company online as well? Well, we've rapidly uh, expanded into social media. Um, and obviously that revolves around having a good working website so that when you attract somebody there that you can you know, figure out who they were and what they were looking for. And so we've spent a lot of time recently on making sure that our website is very communicative and, and easy to operate. Yeah, because do, do you see the future where someone could potentially reserve a large piece of equipment online or is it always going to have some sort of human intervention with your business? Well, the, the platform that, uh, that we're on the cusp of is, is built to be uh, no humans, but I'm going to tell you that knowing what me and you both know about the rental industry, there's going to be humans that have to attend to other humans at some, at some level. So it just depends on how much of that you might be able to take out of that. You know, if, uh, to make it quick and easy and, and come into the 21st century, you know, Uber and, and all those different things, everybody kind of shrugged their shoulders at. So, so now maybe heavy equipment fits in that at some level. Okay. And so in your past, 20 years or so, how have you seen the equipment rental industry change? I guess I would say that 20 plus years ago, the equipment rental business was more or less frowned upon by a lot of large contractors. They thought that that was for somebody who could not afford to own a machine. And, and so I think their jobs got so diverse over the last 20 years that, that they couldn't just do the one thing that they were used to doing that they realized, you know, I might need two D8s for three months and I might need a 100,000 pound excavator that I probably don't want to own. And the rental business evolved into the giant industry that it is right now. I mean, the, the numbers become staggering. Well, it's truly amazing how big the industry's becoming. And I think it's slowly turning into a case of people are questioning, well, why do I need to buy as many pieces of equipment when I can rent them? Uh, and even if I do rent them, I have the option to buy them eventually anyway. Well, and, and to, to your point right there, the rental purchase option has become a way that it appears to me that most you know dealers transact well over 50% of anything that they sell in this day and age, um, which was, was dramatically different than the late 90s, early 2000s, where you basically rented it or you went out and got one. We used to teach people, you know, if you rent this for six months, then maybe you should buy that one from me because, you know, you did need it for X amount of time and use the rental to teach you what your your permanent fleet should look like. Yeah, and it's probably a good opportunity for sales reps, I would see, in if someone's trying to sell a piece of equipment to a customer and they're saying, I just don't have the budget for this. It's a good like alternative to say, well, did you know you could rent it for on a short-term rental? And then you can assess whether that's a piece of machinery that fits into your fleet that you require for the job and you can purchase it later on. 
Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think that's been a big part of it is that, that the, com the comfort level the, the customer gets with that machine over three or six months as he rents to own it um, and then builds up some equity um, is, is makes it a very good way to disperse the equipment and a great way for them to buy it. So maybe do you want to talk a little bit about how you think telematics fits into the construction industry or the equipment rental industry in general? Yes, telematics and GPS, I guess, you know, we look at those as two different things. Telematics let me know where the machine's at and, and what kind of conditions that it's running in um, are helpful to actually collect money uh, in lots of circumstances. Uh, and GPS or machine automatics uh, really have changed over the last probably five years for sure to the extent where 50% of our customers probably call up and say, is this uh, D6N uh, GPS compatible? Is this 140 ready for my Trimble system? And so we've had to really adapt there. And I think that one thing that we're missing as an industry is, is letting the young people that we're trying to recruit in this industry understand how much fun technology that there is. You know, we've got drones flying over job sites to do takeoffs, and we've got machines that'll almost dig their own ditch. And so there is a lot of of technology that we need to be selling these young people to attract them into what appears from the surface to be a, a dirty job, um, which certainly is is can be that, but it also has, as I said, a lot of technology that's used today. I think the, the industry is good at promoting itself within itself, but isn't very good at promoting itself outside of the industry. I would agree with that. And, and we've gone to great lengths with the, uh, the contractors associations that I, that I spoke to earlier um, of trying to have career days and get these young kids out there and get them around the machine and get them on a backhoe and put a hard hat on their head. But somewhere along the line, you know, they don't get touched again from the fifth grade until they're out of high school wondering what to do or they're in college wondering what technology they're going to study and maybe we've missed letting them know hey construction is a place where there's a, a huge amount of technology that's available for you to use and learn and, and have fun with. and so have you been involved much in any of the trade associations from a learning perspective as well because you mentioned that you did a lot of reading have you been involved in any like the like the aed is one uh, the Australian Equipment Distributors, I mean, American Equipment Distributors, sorry, or the ARA, any any associations to sort of help your company and you personally grow? Certainly all of the uh, the AGC chapters, wherever we might have a location. So the Association of General Contractors, Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, um, we've participated in all of those associations and I've had myself and a lot of my guys have been board members or chairmen of the associate councils of those way to network and, and learn and get close to decision makers and let them teach you their business if you can get into it. All right, well, look, let's, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you for a second. So if you could give yourself some advice to your younger self, what would you say? Get an education um, so that you don't have to learn the, the really hard way on, on some things. Um, probably start in this business as soon as you possibly could. Uh, I was fortunate you know, enough to be 
right around 30 years old, which is about the time people start figuring out what they want to do anyway. So I can't say it cost me any time, but you know, a little bit more education and a little bit more experience would, would have been helpful. And uh, in the rental business as a sales rep, you really just need to know three things, make more calls, make more calls, make more calls. That's true. It sounds like you're very thankful for the opportunity that you were got given in the early days. Oh, I couldn't be more thankful for the fact that, you know, these people just took a, uh, an interest in me and, and gave me all the opportunity in the world. And uh, so, yes, I'm very thankful. So do you give that opportunity to your new staff members as well? Is it something that crosses your mind when you're going through your interview process? Absolutely. And uh, we, we, we really try to promote from within. And, uh, and I'm proud to say that I'm working right now to turn a truck driver who's been with me for 15 years um, into a salesman in one of our locations. I've had field service mechanics in three or four of our locations become um, service managers. And the first truck driver that we ever had in Denver, Colorado is now my fleet manager in charge of the service department for the entire company. So um, it's been an endless amount of opportunity. And, and every time we grow, we would ask that person who's done us a great job someplace, would you like to move and upgrade your standing with the company and move into a managerial role? And I think that when you have your employees see that happen enough times that they know that they're never going to be overlooked when something like that might come up for them. So that's been a, a, a huge, important way we've done business. That's a great way to build culture as well and to keep people long-term within the business. I would say that uh, myself and Kyrie, our office manager, and Harold, our, our vice president of, of manufacturing, all started within 90 days of each other in 1997, and we're all still here. Um, and every year I get to give away any more two or three 20 year awards. Um, it's a great feeling to know that we've, we've put a culture together that people want to stay for a long, long time, because as we all know, mechanics and different jobs, they're getting offered jobs a lot. They can go get $2 an hour more, maybe somewhere, but if the culture uh, is a team, and they've been made to be part of the family per se, then they stay a long time. And uh, we're very proud of that. Wow. So do you want to talk about maybe some of the people that played a big influence on you, maybe personally and professionally, and maybe as a, from a mental perspective? Sure. Um, first, first of all, my father, um, who I mentioned was in the industry, he's the one who said, you know, Hey Mike, you're pretty good at, at running your mouth. You know, maybe you should try selling instead of wrenching. And, uh, and then you gave me a pathway to, uh, to get the opportunity at Sun State and, and beyond. So I'm very grateful for his, uh, words of wisdom. And then the, uh, then the first counterman that I ever worked with at Sun State, a man by the name of Donald Dowd, he'd been in the business a long time prior to me being the new guy. And the thing that I that still resonates with me from clear back then was take the order. And so um, that's evolved into lots of things, but we try not to ever say no, but you also can't let somebody down. So that's a, a double-edged sword, but we've always lived by that mantra of take the order and we'll figure it out. Um, so he was a great mentor for the, for the start of my career. And then my predecessor who hired me actually, uh, Jim Metzeld, 
now owns a su successful uh, uh, rental and trading business in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, the first 10 years I worked here, he, he taught me probably everything I know and use today to, to, to run this business. Um, and, and also the patriarch of our company right now, Alan Greenberg, um, has been a mentor about this business and uh, has taught me how to keep my mouth shut on lots of things. And, um, but he's also been a wonderful mentor. Yeah, I think it's like, what advice would you give to somebody that is a mechanic that is looking to transition into more the operation side? Because it is a, a tough transition. It's something that you, you got to really invest in yourself uh, and, and learning about the business rather than just taking what you're doing previously and applying. Like, what, what advice would you give to maybe someone that is, is trying to transition out of being a technician or, or a mechanic or a service person or even a driver, I guess you could, as an example, and into more of an operations role? Um, that's a tricky one. I, I think you have to, 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 like you just said, you've got to figure out that you're going to need to educate yourself and that you need to learn a lot about the people around you and how to treat people and manage people uh, because that seems to be the downfall of somebody who moves from their service truck into a managerial role. They expect that next person to get in that truck and be as good as they were sure that they were. And so when they're not, it's not, hey, you did this wrong. It's a mentoring. And it, so it's everybody's got a mentor as you go up the ladder and you got to quickly realize um, that now you're not the guy doing the work, you're the guy trying to get somebody to do the work, which is harder. And they all figure that out pretty quickly. And I think that that almost forms in a, a, a form of patience as well. I think if you're rushing into a new role or you're rushing towards success or whatever you want to call it, you're going to be hit with roadblocks. You've got to have patience in building this culture and this team and, and, and the business to where you want to get it. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And patience is hard to teach and it's hard to learn. And when you get to be 40 or 50 years old, lots of things are hard to learn. So it's, it's almost like you have to try twice as hard because you've already got a perception of how things should be. Hmm. So if, if there was someone that was looking at starting their own rental business, what advice would you give them? Make sure you understand the capital investment uh, that you're going to have to, to uh, outlay to, to be in this business. Because one of the things you asked earlier about the difference in the rental industry from, from 97 to 2021 is the cost of equipment has, has tripled, I guess, would probably be a good example. So uh, be very wary of, of how much money you're going to have to spend and make sure you hire good, loyal people and take care of them as very best that you can. Yeah, are you seeing an increase in independent rental companies in the US or is it more of a still consolidation happening? I would say that from the general rental business it has probably been rolled up by the bigger players and you, and you see very few of the, the tool rental guys and, and different things, unless you're in a remote area where that man's made that his business for, for quite some time, but um, seeing very few independents really start in the last 
five or 10 years from our scale. Um, and I think that really the capital is, is what impedes them from doing that. I think where I see more growth happening is in the specialized rental products. So guys that aren't just providing commodities, as you mentioned, like all the general rental guys are getting swallowed up pretty quickly. It's, it's when someone can find a, a niche and, and build that business up where and you even notice like United Rentals and some of the other guys are slowly building up more and more divisions, essentially. Sure. And, it's, and it's those divisions and yeah, all those different things that, that evolve from the rental business. Absolutely. Mm. And it's like, even today, like I, I would say that like engineering plays a big part in, in a rental business as well, especially if you're in like dewatering or, or pumping and all that sort of stuff, like doing sewer bypasses and stuff like that. It, it's a completely different type of rental, but it is rental. And, and there's, there's a lot of opportunity in that, that space as well. Yeah. And that takes uh that takes some pretty smart people who have probably got field experience to even be able to converse with the guy about what it takes to, to get the water from, from Y to Z. And so I guess your version of success has probably changed a lot over the years, considering where you've come from and where you are today. So maybe if you, do you want to talk about like how that perception of success has changed from <laughs> when you were working at Sun State to where you are today? Well, since my roles have changed dramatically from those days, uh, success those days was, you know, how many tractors could, could I rent that day? Um, and now with 11 locations, it's how many tractors can we rent today? Um, but really that's the goal is, is that the success is just basically on uh, doing the deals and having fun doing it. And we actually, you know, I, I spoke about our team. We do have a lot of fun together and uh, we have fun even when it's hard um, and, and things are going wrong, but we try to keep a good spirit. And, and I find that to be uh, success right now is you can be happy and, and, and still make a dollar and that's pretty successful. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between like being successful as an individual and being successful as a team. And I think you're always going to have a better outcome and a better culture and a better fit for a business when you're successful as a team and really going in the same direction together, rather than being very isolated in, in your own mentality. Oh, absolutely. We, 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 uh, we don't use I and me too much around here um, because that just, that, that just never does work. We and us is, is a way better way to, to do absolutely everything. Well, Mike, really, I really want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure and uh, I, I've enjoyed it. And um, I look forward to watching my, my peers as your podcast evolves. Thank you very much. Please like, share, follow the Rental Journal podcast and I'll see everyone in next week's episode.